Welcome to this week's episode of Forging the Word with Trevor Whitman. We have been studying the book of James. There has been a lot of good stuff that we have been studying, and this week is going to be no different. There's going to be some things in James 4 that are going to challenge all of us, me included. And that's what I love about studying scripture, is that no matter where we're at, no matter what season of life we're in, whether we're in a season of good whether we're in a season of bad, whether we're going through hard times or great times, whether everything feels like it's falling apart or everything's coming together, that the Lord's word can inspire us, it can encourage us, it can challenge us. And so today when we're studying James 4, my prayer would be that you would just pray that you would just have an open heart to hear whatever the Lord has for you. So if you just want to take one second as we're at the beginning of this podcast just to pray, Lord, open my heart. God, help me to hear what you want me to hear. Lord, penetrate my heart with the thing that you want me to hear today for me to go about my life the way that you've called me to. In Jesus' name, amen. And I pray that for my myself as well. I want to get something out of this word today that is going to help me to be the man that God has called me to be. And so let's hop into it. James 4, chapter verse 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, let's roll. It says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it? You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James opens up chapter four here with a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Can name a couple here. (laughs) Most common fights that we see among people generally revolve around money, possessions like buildings or land or other things, power, authority, influence, any of those things ringing a bell. Right? None of those things are bad in and of themselves, but it is our lust and our desire for these things that cause dissent among believers. Right? Think about any church split that you've ever been a part of or that you've heard about. And one of those issues is more than likely the cause. Right? When, when we see how people fight, what they fight about, it generally falls under one of those categories. But what's really interesting is James isn't just saying, hey, you know, what are you guys fighting about? He's talking about where that desire comes from, right? Another component to this is that the thing that is often fought about, you could have if you just ask the Lord for it. You don't always have to fight for everything that you want or desire. You see, I, I see believers do it all the time where we feel like we have to position ourselves. We have to manipulate things to get our way. We have to cut corners to to get things done the way that we think that they should be done. And guys, it's how the world operates. We as believers are not called to operate that way, right? If, If you have a desire on your heart for something that's righteous, honestly, the Lord probably put it there. You're probably designed to have that desire, Right? But the timing and the circumstance in which it will come to fruition 
is up to the Lord. He just calls us to obey when he opens the door. Right? So these fights that happen typically are because people are going outside of the will of God. They desire something, but they don't want to wait to get whatever that thing is, right? If that's influence or authority or a position, right? I've seen it happen. People want a higher position, so they manipulate things behind the scenes to to get a higher position by getting the person above them out. It's sad, but it happens, and it happens all over the place, right? Or money, possessions, right? It's crazy. So we, we have these desires in our hearts, which aren't necessarily wrong. It's not wrong to want a position or to desire uh, a role. It's not bad to desire to have financial stability or to own a home or have possessions, right? None of those things are wrong. Having dreams about those things is not wrong. But when we take matters into our own hands and do it in our own strength and don't care what wake of bodies we have behind us to get to that goal, that's where things get sinful. That's where things get wrong. And that's what James is really driving out here. He's like, guys, what are you fighting about? What quarrels are among you? What is leading to division, to hatred, to malice, to slander, to gossip? Right? And it's all because of this desire to have what you don't have. Right? And that's crazy that believers operate that way because that's just how the world operates. The world operates in a way that says you need to have what your neighbor has. The world operates in a way that says hustle and grind and take out anything in your way, even if they're people. That's how the world operates. It's a dog-eat-dog world, right? That's where that statement comes from. But we're called to operate differently, right? We're called to just trust that the timing that the Lord brings about is perfect. And if we wait in his timing, if we're patient, then what is meant to happen will happen when it's supposed to happen. We have to trust that the Lord has the timing that is perfect in every circumstance. But if we force the issue, it won't work, right? At least not to the full capacity that it could be, right? I love the illustration of pulling fruit off the tree too soon, right? If you're, if you're watching fruit or, you know, my wife and I started gardening earlier this year. I don't know if in quarantine, <laughs> everyone started to do that, but we started a little garden in our backyard. And there were plenty of times that my, my kids wanted to go pull the food off of the branches before they were ready because they looked like they were close, but they weren't perfectly there, right? So is it is it edible? Sure. You know, if they pulled off a tomato too early, you know, could they eat it? Sure, probably, you know, as long as it's close enough. So is it edible? Sure. But is it going to taste exactly the way it's supposed to or to the best version of what it could be? Probably not, right? I, I, I love using the illustration of David and Saul in 1 Samuel 24. Now, a lot of people use this uh, passage of scripture to abuse their authority, and it bothers me, right? There's a lot of people that are like, hey, 
when David chose not to take out Saul, it's because we're supposed to honor our leaders. And I'm like, yeah, we should honor our leaders. But people use that and say, we should never call out our leaders. We should never hold them accountable because the Lord has put them in authority. And we are called to just go about it, even if they're abusing people. And I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not what this is talking about. Okay, but it is really interesting from the perspective of timing that David had a specific call on his life, a specific call to be the leader of Israel. So he knew that this was coming. He'd already been anointed. He knew it was coming. And the Lord just asked him to wait, right? Saul was in power at the time. And there was two times that David had the opportunity to kill Saul, where he was separated from his army, that David had it within him, that his men were saying, bro, go for it. Go kill Saul and take over your throne. And David refused. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that, but the part I want to really point out here is that David trusted the timing that he was supposed to abide by. He trusted the Lord that whenever he was supposed to be in power, he would be, right? Timing matters. And then he goes one step further in James, right? He's saying, listen, it's not just about what we do, but our heart and our motives and asking the Lord for things matters, right? And the Lord takes that into consideration. There's no pulling the wool over the Lord's eyes. He knows our hearts. So even if we do ask for whatever it is we want, if we ask with impure hearts, he won't bless that either, right? When we ask the Lord for things, we get three responses. It's either yes, no, or wait. And whatever that response is, we must trust that the Lord has the big picture in mind, is that he's working for our good, and it is what it's meant to be, right? And if it's no, we may not always know the why, and we have to be okay with that. Not knowing the why, I'm telling you, is one of my biggest struggles. I love to know the why. I love to know the why. You know what inspires me is when I hear coaches or athletes or people that, you know, are in, you know, places that are of influence in our society. And when they share their why, right, that that gets us riled up. That gets us inspired, right? When people have come from hard circumstances and, you know, I, I love uh, the running back, Chris Carson. I heard an interview with him uh, last week or a couple weeks ago where he was saying that his main drive is that he grew up in poverty, that his house burned down when he was a young guy and that he was driven to become a professional football player because he wanted to provide a house for his mom. And I'm like, man, like when I hear the story and he goes in the details of losing everything and the in the poverty and the situation, like living couch to couch for years in his life. I'm like, man, that's inspiring. That gets us riled up, right? However, we might not always know the why when it comes to things that the Lord calls us to do or not to do or why the timing is a certain way. We may never know. We may never know, but we have to trust. And that trust only can come from a relationship with him. It's how all of our relationships work. The better the relationship that we have with someone, the easier it is to trust them, right? And it's easier to trust their heart, their motives, their intentions when we know them, right? When we know their heart. 
to the point where if we make a mistake, people that really know us well can say, hey, hey, Trevor made a mistake, but I know his heart. I know that that wasn't intentional. That's not who he is, right? And in the same way, we can say, hey, this didn't happen in my life. It's not because the Lord hates me. I know the Lord. I know the Lord. And he's not doing it because he hates me or he's mad at me. This just didn't work out because it wasn't supposed to. And it helps us to address circumstances as they come. The deeper our relationship is with the Lord, the easier it is to trust him in every circumstance. All right, let's move on. James chapter four, verse four through six. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scriptures say without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A couple things to break down here. First of which is pretty point blank, not a whole lot of commentary to go with this, but you are either living for one or the other. You're either living for the world or living for the Lord. There's no middle. There's no middle. If you think that you're on the fence, you're not. And I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not judging you. It's just a reality. People that think that they're on the fence of either following the Lord or not, they're just not. And honestly, it's better to be in a place where you know where you're at, right? The people that live in the middle that think they might be good is actually the most dangerous place to be. Honestly, it'd be better if you were either sold out for the Lord or completely not. And the reason why is at least you know where you're at, where you stand, because it has to be one or the other. There is no in-between. There's a lot of people that think that they can be in-between, but the, the way to eternal life is narrow and the people are few, right? That's the reality, guys. That's the reality. Commitment to Christ is a life choice. And the decision is as serious as James makes it here. A choice to live for the world isn't just a choice. It's a heart space. And any intentional choice to not follow him is hatred towards him. It's that serious. We don't use that word very often, right? Hatred is a pretty intense word. Hate is an intense word. That is what we use. I mean, it's as bad as it gets. And there's a lot of people that say, well, I'm just choosing to live my own life the way that I'm living it because, well, that's how I want to live it. But guys, I'm telling you, this is not the only place in scripture that talks about the fact that a choice to follow after the world instead of God is a choice to hate God. There is no in-between. There is no in-between. We'd like to think that it's not that serious because then we could go about living our life the way that we want to. But guys, we follow a jealous God. And all throughout scripture, we see how God reacts in situations where people follow false idols instead of him. There's some pretty intense stuff in the Old Testament when Israelites choose to worship false idols instead of him. But sometimes we read the Bible and we go, yeah, them worshiping those false idols, those, those Israelites, how could they worship something made of wood or of gold? Or how could they see the Lord part the Red Sea and then struggle with worshiping 
you know, a, a false God made out of materials from the world. Like that's so dumb. How could they do that? But guys, what idols do we have in our lives? They're not, they're probably not. <laughs> they're, they're not wood carvings. They're not statues made of stone, but they might be your car. Might be your job. Might be your hobby. Might be money. Might be power. Might be influence. Might be some other material possession. Guys, idols are not just these statues of false gods that we hear about from the Old Testament. A false idol is anything that we worship instead of the Lord. And you're like, well, I don't bow down to my Xbox, right? I don't, I don't bow down to my bank account. I don't bow down. And you're, I'm like, yeah, you do. It just doesn't look, just doesn't look that way. And this is convicting for me as well. Anything that we choose instead of the Lord, anything, anything that we put before the Lord, anything, that's an idol. Anything that when the Lord calls us to do something and we choose to do something else, whatever that something else is, that is an idol in your life. And if you're not convicted by that, I, man, you, you must be better than me because <laughs> that convicts me heavily, right? Because not worshiping a false idol is a commandment. And that commandment is in place because it breaks relationship with God. And that's why he commands us not to do it, right? To save our relationship with him. Like I said, every commandment breaks down into two categories. It either is going to break relationship with the Lord or break relationship with others if you do those things. So the Lord's saying, hey, don't do those things because I want to salvage your relationships. I want to make sure that your relationships stay intact, both with me and with other people. Right? And, and, here's, the t- and here's the thing, guys. All of us struggle with idolatry. And that's how I love that James ends this little section of verses here is he goes, hey, the Lord gives us grace, but he gives us more grace. And that's why the scriptures say God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And reminder, right? Reminder, grace is receiving something that we don't deserve, right? But that grace is conditional upon the state of our heart, right? He says, listen, the Lord has grace for us, right? He gives us more grace, However, then follows it up by saying, that is why the scriptures say God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because here's the thing, if we are flippant towards his grace, you know, because we, in quotation marks, we all do it, or in quotation marks, that's just who I am. That's pride, right? If we, if we just schluff off our idolatry and say, oh, that's not really a big deal or it's not really idolatry, that's pride. And the scriptures say all over the place that God opposes the proud, right? Instead, we're supposed to approach it from a place of humility where we approach the Lord in repentance for putting anything before him. And honestly, it's probably more than one thing. I know it is for me. There's plenty of things in my life. I mean, guys, 
something as small as sleeping can be an idol, right? If you have the conviction that you're supposed to wake up before work or before school or whatever to spend time with the Lord and you don't do that, if you have the conviction on your heart, right? This isn't true for everyone, right? But if you have a conviction like this is what I'm supposed to spend time with the Lord and then you don't, guys, sleep is an idol in that scenario because you're choosing that instead of the Lord or you're choosing the thing that you stayed up late the night before doing. You chose that it was more important for you to stay up late doing whatever you're doing than it was to go to bed at a normal time and wake up to spend time with the Lord. So that thing that's keeping you from waking up the next morning, that could be an idol too, right? These things, it's innumerable. It's, it, it could be so many things. It could be so many things. Anything that keeps us from following the conviction of the Lord is an idol. And we are called to put that below the Lord. So whether that means sacrificing it altogether until it can become not an idol or just sacrificing it altogether because there's no way it can't be an idol in your life, that's what it costs. That's what it costs. So my challenge to you would be, if you don't know what idols are in your life, ask the Lord to reveal those to you and then start removing them, right? Doing some maintenance. Start start doing some self-evaluation of what keeps you from following the conviction that the Lord puts on your heart. Start really evaluating those things because it matters. It matters. All right? James chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. All right, so lots to break down in these couple of verses. But first off, he talks about how we're supposed to resist the devil, right? And and again, we talked about this on a previous episode, that it's really the enemy here, right? The devil is a singular being, right? We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on here, but, but just a reminder that the devil is not God's equal. Right? We are fighting against the enemy, which can be Satan and his demons. However, the devil is a singular being. He can only be in one place at one time. So really, we could use the word enemy as synonymous here with the devil. And it says, man, resist him and he will flee from you. Right? There is only so much patience that the enemy has in attacks against us. Right? It won't last forever. And the more we resist and the effectiveness of our resistance, the more disheartened the enemy gets. It is only when the enemy has a foothold, as scripture calls it, that they stick around. If we give them a window of opportunity, they're going to stick around because they think they can get you, right? But here's the thing, is we can resist. And not only can we resist, we can use the strength of the Lord, right? In Ephesians, it talks about the armor of God that we put on to resist the attacks of the enemy, And the easiest way to resist the enemy is perseverance. The more we resist, the longer we resist, the effectiveness of that resistance, the more likely the enemy is going to go away quicker. That's just how it works, right? It's it's like anything. It's kind of like a bully, right? If you remember, you know, if you ever got bullied in elementary school or anything like that, right? If you just didn't give in to the bully, right? If you didn't show that it affected you, that you didn't respond in a way that they were wanting you to respond and 
time and time again, they tried to bully you and it just didn't affect you. You just, you just schluffed it off and you're like, nope, doesn't bother me. The more likely that the bully's going to leave you alone. But if you respond and you give a window or you talk back or you try to, you know, whatever, it's going to, it's going to continue. And it's going to, you're going to keep getting bullied till either one of two things happens. You finally either stop letting it bother you or you fight back, right? And obviously people handle things in different ways. But what James is saying is, is, hey, resist the devil and and he'll flee from you. Resist the enemy and persevere. And eventually the enemy will stop attacking you because there's no, there's no ground to gain there, right? It's a waste of their time. Okay. Then he moves on talking about, I love this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Guys, this is a promise. I love this. People ask all the time, what are the, what are the promises of God? Right? This is one of them, right? He's he's saying, listen, the Lord will not force himself into any relationship. However, he's saying, listen, if we press into our relationship with the, with the Lord of the universe, the more he will press into his relationship with us. The more we give him, the more he pours into us. This is a reciprocal relationship, but it comes down to an invitation. He will never force you into a relationship. He won't. He won't. It's an invitation. And he's saying, listen, the more you pour into me, the more I'm going to pour into you. And I'm not talking about finances. I got to be very careful here. I got to be very clear here. We're not going down the prosperity gospel route. What I'm saying is, is the more we press into our relationship with the Lord, the more we read the scriptures, the more we pray, the more we engage in relationship with him, the more we bring our circumstances to him in prayer, the more he's going to pour back into us in wisdom, in discernment, in patience, in peace, kindness, right? The fruits of the Spirit. Guys, the more we pour into him, the more like him we become, and the more he pours into us. And it's honestly really exciting when you start seeing the dividends that come from spending time with the Lord. And then he moves on to some more serious, hard conversations. Because he's saying, listen, first of all, resist the enemy. Second of all, pour into the Lord. He'll pour back into you. Come near to the Lord. He'll come near to you. Third, he starts pleading with us. Pleading with us to take our sin seriously. So this is my call to you. I'm going to echo James here. One of the things that we do as humans is we like to see ourselves as good people. And I'm not saying you're not. I'm not saying you're not a good person. But we like to see ourselves as good people, right? We, we hear this all the time. They say, hey, I'm, I'm bad, right? Like I mess up, but at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, right? I'm a good person. I mean, how many of us have said that? If we're all honest with ourselves, we've probably all said that to some degree. But what James is saying here is, listen, we all fall short. We are all sinners. And it's our natural response to minimize, justify, and find excuses. But all of those things are pride. Right? He's saying, no, your sin should cause you to mourn. 
Your sin should cause you to grieve and to wail, requesting forgiveness, to repent. Right? In the Beatitudes, I love it. Jesus tells us that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This has many applications. Sure, one of those is that people going through hardship or suffering or pain or abuse, that Jesus says, hey, I will comfort you in those situations. However, there's another application. It's also a call for us to mourn over our sin. We should mourn over the things that separate us from God. And here's another promise. He's saying, listen, if we mourn over our sin because it separates us from the Lord, we will be comforted. It's another promise. But that requires humility. To mourn in a genuine and authentic way, it requires humility because you have to say, Lord, I'm not good enough. I'm broken. I've fallen. Lord, I I don't have it without you. Lord, I'm sorry that it broke relationship with you, Lord. Restore the relationship between us. Reconcile our relationship. Remember, we talked about repentance before. That repentance is not us asking for our sin to be wiped away. Our sin has been wiped away, guys. Jesus did that on the cross. Past, present, future, sin, forgiven. So what is us asking for forgiveness doing? What is it accomplishing between others and with the Lord? It is restoring relationship. And the only way that we restore relationship in this way is to be authentic and genuine and humble and acknowledge that our sin is real and that it's serious because it breaks relationship with the Lord. Let's continue on. James chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, so first of all, let's define slander. So the word slander means the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. Okay, so slander is a little different than gossiping, right? Gossiping is talking about people behind their back. Slander is not only when you talk behind your back, but it's false. And that false statement is meant to damage someone else's reputation. So how James is talking about judgment here is really important to see because in other parts in scripture, we are called to keep other believers accountable, but that doesn't mean that we're judging them. There is a distinction there, right? Judging someone falls in the category of you saying that people are less than because of the actions that they're taking and that you're better than them, right? It's coming from a place of judgment. It's coming from a place of trying to make myself look better at the expense of someone else, right? So we're not called to judge, especially... (laughs) 
especially in areas that we are guilty of as well. Right? We're all, we all fall short. We're all called to have grace and mercy on others, right? He says, don't judge your brother and try to take the speck out of his eye when you have a plank in yours, right? We're, we're not called to judge people because we are broken and sinful as well. But judging someone is not the same as keeping accountable because keeping accountable comes from a relationship right? Have you ever tried to keep someone accountable that you're not in relationship with? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because when you keep someone accountable, it's from a place of love. It's saying, hey, you're a little off here. I want to bring you back into righteousness. So I'm going to say something in an attempt to love you and bring you back towards the truth. And that has to be done carefully. That has to be done with wisdom and discernment. But so many people misinterpret accountability for judgment, right? A lot of people, when you try to keep them accountable, can respond with, well, don't judge me. And it's like, well, hold on. I'm not judging you. What I'm saying is the path that you're walking down will lead to your destruction. It's actually out of love, right? And these conversations are difficult. They're meant to be done with tact and prayer and wisdom and discernment. Okay, so this is not referencing. So what James is talking about here is not referencing holding people accountable, especially in the midst of abuse, right? Calling out sin in a loving way is not judging someone, okay? But what does eternal judgment look like, right? Because there's judgment from us, which is what we shouldn't do, but then there's judgment from the Lord, right? There's distinctions here that we have to break down. Judgment from the Lord, obviously, is righteous when he judges our lives for our eternal state, right? When he determines where we're going. Like I've said before, if we are believers in Christ, if we acknowledge that the Lord is who he says he is, that Jesus died on the cross, that he's our savior, that we have repented, that we have walked away from our sinful lifestyle, that we are following after him and we are believers then we're, then we're good. Guys, there's some fun stuff that I want to break down here. Okay, believers will not face the great white throne judgment. There are a lot of believers out there that are scared of when they die, that are scared of, of facing judgment from the Lord once they die. And I'm here to tell you, I want to encourage you here. There's nothing to be afraid of because we don't face the great white throne judgment. Right, when I was a younger believer, right, I had this image in my mind that when I died, I was going to go sit in a lazy boy recliner up in heaven, and the Lord was going to go through a PowerPoint slideshow of all the ways that I messed up and give me a disappointed look every time that I did something wrong and then go on to the next slide and, and do it all over again. But I'm here to tell you, that is false. It's not a thing. We don't have to live in fear or anxiety. I love how Micah 719 talks about it in saying that our, not only is our sin forgiven, but it's gone. Never to be brought up again. It goes to the depths of the sea. I love that. Our sin goes to the bottom of the sea, never to be seen again. Once we're forgiven, it's gone. 
You see, only non-believers face the great white throne judgment to be judged for their eternal life, right? Whether or not they're going to hell or not is only for people that are not Christians. So then what do believers face? Because it does say that we do get judged in heaven, but where do we get judged and by whom? Well, we get judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And this type of judgment is fun judgment. It's great judgment. Because here's the thing. Let me, let me walk you through this. If your sin is all forgiven, past, present, future, and Jesus says that your sin was on him on the cross, that it's taken care of, then if we go to the judgment seat of Christ to be judged, what's left? Righteousness. Right? The stuff that we did awesome. So yeah, I do think we sit in a lazy boy recliner with a slideshow. But instead of it being sin and judgment and sadness, instead it's, no, we're going to sit there and the Lord's going to go through a PowerPoint presentation of all the things that we did awesome with the right heart, with the right motive, right? That he's proud of us for. It's going to be a a big affirmation circle, right? (laughs) Because all that's left to be judged is all the things that we did right, that the Lord's pleased with. So guys, there's nothing to be afraid of. If you've committed your life to Christ, if you are living for him, if you have repented from your sin and turned the other way and are engaging in relationship with him, guys, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. Right? But here's, here's one other distinction we have to draw here. It is not our place to judge anyone's eternal destination, right? Even if people ask me, hey, do you think fill in the blank is going to hell? I can't respond. I always say, hey, listen, it's not my place to say whether or not that I think that they are. Here's one more fun thing. I got to go here really quick, but I want to just talk about this really fast because I love talking about it. It's cool. Guys, here's a truth that a lot of believers don't know. Nobody is in hell currently. Nobody. You're like, wait, what? Right? So any movie that you watch, like I, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, oh, see you in hell. Okay? Guys, here's the thing. First of all, hell is nothing to joke about. Second of all, you don't see people in hell. It's eternal isolation, right? In torture away from the Lord, right? So first of all, not joke worthy. Second of all, you're not going to be around people. Not a big party the way that the media describes it, right? Hell is awful, Okay, but also nobody is in hell the way that we understand it yet. So you go, okay, Trevor, well, where are they? Well, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came and died on the cross, anybody that died went to a place called Sheol. Sheol is both a holding place for the wicked and the righteous in the Old Testament. And we are told that they're separated, right? That there's wicked on one side and righteous on the other. And when Jesus died, he went down to Sheol He got the righteous and took them to heaven before he was resurrected, right? So believers are currently in heaven, both people in the Old Testament that follow the Lord and people that die now are in heaven with the Lord, but wicked people are still in Sheol. They're still in the holding place awaiting their judgment at the great white throne, right? The great white throne judgment is in the end, right? That's in the end times and nobody has been judged to hell yet. Right? When we find out that 
you know, that demons and the devil are thrown into the lake of fire. That same time period right before that is when people that are non-believers face the great white throne judgment, right? So where are they at now? So if someone dies now and they're not believers, they go to Sheol. They go to a holding place where the dead go that are wicked and they're awaiting judgment. Whereas believers, when we die, we go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross and enabled us to be able to do that. Okay, so fun little fun little tidbit there. We might get into more of that later, but I just, I love talking about that stuff, so it's really fun. All right, we got to move on. James chapter four, verse 13 through 17 says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. All right, let's cover these last couple pieces and we'll wrap up here. Here's the deal. Making plans in your life is not wrong. Right? Making plans is not a a bad thing, right? I'm... I'm a type one, type A, Enneagram one, whatever, whatever you want to call it, right? I make a lot of plans, right? But how strongly we hold to them is what matters, right? We are called to be obedient with the Lord. We are called to be obedient with the things that the Lord has put in front of us today. And that's it, right? Life is of just a vapor, right? Nothing reminds us of this more than our own awareness of our mortality after the loss of people in our lives. I had a friend of mine die a a, a little over a month ago. I had a friend of mine that's only a couple years older than me, had some stomach issues, went into the doctor, got checked out, found out that he had days to live, and sure enough, he died days later. Engaged to be married, had a kid, friend of mine from high school. And man, any time I lose a friend of mine or someone close to me, especially someone that's around my age, just reminds us that you never know. We don't know how much time we have here. And honestly, that's, it's honestly, when you hear people that have a death sentence, right? When they're like, Hey, I I have a terminal illness and you see the urgency in their life to restore relationships, to see the world, to, you know, encourage people to go do what the Lord's called them to do. And they have this sense of urgency. Every time someone dies that's close to me, man, it reminds me to just have that urgency every day. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm guaranteed right now. If I'm breathing right now, this is the only time I have. And we all need that reminder constantly. And it's honestly the way that we should live. And James builds off that. He says, hey, not only should we live our life with that urgency, but he also says we should live in a constant state of, hey, if it's your will, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to wait in your timing to talk about what we talked about before. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do whenever you want me to do it. And I'm going to patiently wait for that time. Now, this isn't an excuse to be lazy, right? A lot of times when people hear someone say, hey, I'm going to wait in the Lord's timing. I'm not going to rush it. I'm not going to go do it right now. Some people can be like, well, that's just laziness. Kick down the wall. Go do it. Go do it in your own strength, right? Pick up yourself by your bootstraps and go get it done. But guys, we are not called to live that way. That's how the world lives. We're not called to live that way. We say, Lord, if it's your will, then I'm going to roll, right? So 
I'm not saying be lazy and sit around and eat Cheetos and sit in a beanbag chair all day. (laughs) Okay? Press into new things. Explore new areas. Check things out. Gain new knowledge. But do it with an open hand. Right? I, I, I pray it with closed doors prayers all the time. And what that means is I say, Lord, hey, listen. I feel led in this area. I haven't felt super strong confirmation one way or the other, but I'm just going to try it this way. And if I'm not supposed to close the door, right? Wherever I'm supposed to go, if I'm going a direction, I'm not supposed to just close the door. Lord, I trust you. And then circumstances will arise where that door gets closed and I go, okay, I trust you, Lord, that that wasn't meant to be where I'm supposed to be. And here's the deal. The irony is that if we follow what the Lord calls us to do every day, and we are who he created us to be, sure, there will be times of failure, but there will also be times of success. I have to be very clear here. Just because we're following after the Lord does not mean that we're going to be wildly successful in everything that we do. Anybody that preaches that, it's a prosperity gospel and it's false. There are going to be times that we fail. There are going to be times that we, in our minds, fail. Guys, back in 2014, I was convinced that I was supposed to write a book and that I was supposed to start a business. Only one of those two things was true. So the Lord did call me to write a book. So I wrote a book in 2014. I had insomnia until I finished it. The Lord put his hand on it. I was supposed to do it. And then I was convinced by some friends, which, hey, you know, it's not bad advice, that I was supposed to leverage that book into starting a company. And that wasn't of the Lord. And so I did everything I could. I did everything within my own strength to make that business work. And it just didn't. So some people are like, well, dude, you failed and you followed after the Lord. And I said, well, I followed after the Lord for the first part. And I wrote the book I was supposed to write and it ended up being used years later, which is a story for another time in a really fun and cool way. But the company part was in my own strength. I wasn't supposed to do that part. I wasn't. And so I failed, but I failed forward. Right? I failed in such a way where I, I learned from it. I grew from it. And you know what? When we follow after the Lord, there's going to be times where things don't work out exactly the way that we think they're supposed to. But that doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. That doesn't mean I was sinful. I don't think I was sinful in starting that company. I don't think I was wrong in starting the company. But it just wasn't what I was supposed to do. And so the Lord closed that door and led me in different directions to end up where I'm at now, right? The Lord uses everything that we do in our life for his glory. However, that doesn't always mean that everything that we're doing is from him, okay? So we need to know that there will be times that we fail. There will be times that we have success. And when there are times of success, we got to stay humble, right? It's so easy for us to take the credit for it when it all goes well, but it isn't that. Right? Just a reminder here. James says it a couple times. We see it all throughout scripture. The Lord opposes the proud and exalts the humble. Okay? Lastly, James talks about the sin of omission. And this is one that doesn't get a lot of screen time. (laughs) This is a sin that a lot of people don't talk about, guys. The sin of omission is so difficult to describe because it's different for all of us. Right? But if there is something that the Lord has called us to do or to say, and we say no, That isn't just disobedience, that's sin, right? That's sin. If the Lord says, go do this or go say this, and we don't, there's disobedience, it's literally evil, right? It's sinful. 
If you know the good that you ought to do and you don't, that's sinful. So I'm going to step out here. I'm going to say this. If you're looking for a sign that the Lord has led you to the next step and you're like, Lord, speak to me. Tell me that I'm supposed to take the next step. Take this as your sign that you're supposed to. If you're listening to this podcast and you've been waffling about whether or not you're supposed to do something that the Lord's put on your heart, here's your confirmation. Go do it and do it to the nth degree. And that doesn't mean that there won't be struggles. That doesn't mean there won't be hardship. That doesn't mean there won't be some failures along the way. Sometimes we take failures as a sign that we're just supposed to stop doing what we're doing. And it's like, eh, no, but maybe we need to just make an adjustment, a course correction. Maybe we're supposed to still go in the same direction, but we're just supposed to change the way that we do it. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like in your life. But all I do know is that if the Lord's put something on our heart, we better do it. The, <laughs> James is really clear here. So we covered a lot today, right? We covered a ton, right? We, we talked about that how we fight matters, right? What we fight for matters, that we need to trust the Lord's timing instead of trying to do it in our own strength and trying to force the issue, right? We talked about the fact that God is a jealous God, that we are called to follow after him and him alone, not after any idols of any kind, that we're not called to put anything before him. Everything we do is meant to be in him and in humility following after him, right? We talked about how we're not called to downplay our sin, right? We are called to live a life of humility, to mourn over our sin, mourn over the things that break our relationship with the Lord and instead follow after him, right? We talked about judgment. We talked about how we're called not to slander people. We're called to not judge people's eternal states. It's not our role. It's not our job. Right? But we are called to have hope of our future, that we aren't called to live in fear or anxiety of when we die because our sin is forgiven. Right, And lastly, we talked about following after the Lord and having a life of urgency today. Man, guys, I am pumped on this study of James. I am humbled. I'm excited to apply it in my own life. Things we talked about today are things that we all struggle with. I think we all need to admit that. We all struggle with the things that we talked about today. And my hope is is that these things that we talk about here, they don't make you feel worse about yourself. I I pray that never is how you leave these podcasts. My prayer is that you leave challenged, convicted, and say, all right, like I got to do this thing differently. And so my prayer is that you be encouraged, that you be convicted, that this would lead you to live your life differently, My prayer is is that you would hear these things and that you would think of other people in your life that would be encouraged by the message that I talk about here. And my prayer is that we would finish James strong next week, that uh, James 5 would bring out even more truth that we need to hear. And man, I just, I pray that we would all continue to grow together. And I hope that you listen to next week's episode on Forge in the Word with Trevor Whitmer. (laughs) 